first ambition. My name is Kelsey Cooper, the social broker, and this is a podcast about those who take a leap of faith to follow their dreams and passions. Today's guest is the epitome of Reverse Ambition podcast guest. She's a former New York City school teacher and survivor contestant who is currently a filmmaker, director, photographer, and owner of KUU Production, a dynamic media production company specializing in minimal mini documentaries, corporate branding reels, dynamic photography, and social media campaigns. Her clients range from HBO, BET, Saks Fifth Avenue, Planned Parenthood, Rock Nation Sports, and a host of amazing clients worldwide. Worldwide, please welcome Miss Sabrina Thompson to rap. What's up, girl? Hey, hey, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm multitasking right now. I have my daughter <laughs> right next to me, and and doing this thing, having this conversation. So I really okay. appreciate you being on the show. You no, know? no, you're welcome. You're a modern dad. You're making it happen. So, yeah, so man. I, um, a renaissance, quote unquote, renaissance man like you, a renaissance <laughs> woman. <laughs> uh, trying to make it happen. Yeah, What's man. Up? But um, the way the show goes, you know, really want to our my listeners to 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 hear your journey. So we always ask where you're from, you know, where you went to school, where you majored in, and how the hell you end up where you are right now. So start off uh-huh. where you're from. It's, it's, it's a wild story, actually. I am a Southerner. I'm a country girl. I'm from Wilson, North Carolina. So think 800 people, one stoplight, okay? And I was literally, at the time, I was growing up ages zero through eight. I was the only girl in my neighborhood. So I was very much a tomboy running around. And whenever I wasn't outside, um, you know, what, when I was watching TV, it was things like The Goonies and The Secret of My Success. And I remember watching, like, looking at these tall buildings thinking, wow, that's New York. That is the complete opposite of where I live in, you know? But I, I'm very grateful and honored to be, uh, have, like, been raised in, in the South. I was talking to one of my good uh, friends, Aldo. He, he's from the country, too. And um, we were just talking not too long ago about how it was just to be raised in the Deep South and how you had to be, create your own fun. It was just a backyard and grass. You had to had, use your imagination, you know? So, um, so I started looking back on it now, you know, back then you just like, oh, man, this kind of sucks, you know, or there's nothing to do. But we created our own fun. I think that was the base of my imagination. But um, it started off very, you know, just uh, my, my mom, my dad, my brother um, living out in the country. And what I learned with my first, I guess, true talent was, was I was fast. I was a really fast young girl running you know, whether or not it's through cornfields, tobacco fields, and, and just racing other boys in the neighborhood, which later translated to uh, me just being very good in track and field, my mom and dad entering me into, you know, AAU, Junior Olympics, and I won my first national championship at the age of, I was 10, and it was 1988, and it was the same year Flo Joe um, won the Olympics. And so my parents dressed me up in like a one legged tight situation. Wow. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Baby Flojo going, huh? Yeah. And so on. And it's so crazy. And, um, and so I, I was just, uh, I was just happened to be blessed with a really good, um, you know, parental support system. And we traveled around the country running track from ages six to, to you know, till I graduated. And, and by the time I got to college, I mean, to high school, I was around 16, 17 years old, and, you know, I just, and, I, you know, you look back at it now, you don't really see it then, but literally I had 58 full scholarships 
Wow. Right, like, like on the table that I can just pick from, from UCLA to Stanford to uh, UNC to Duke, you just name it, and it was there. And so, you know, but it, it was, I was a good student. And I got into those schools already as a student, but then it just happened to be, hey, and she runs track. And so um, I eventually went to uh, UNC Chapel Hill. I started off at LSU first, and then uh, after two years, I transferred. And it's no well, one you wanted to come back home. LSU. Well, well, LSU. So that's a whole. It felt like that's a whole nother story because LSU track is like if you want to become an Olympian, you go to LSU. It's like the UCLA John Wooten of of uh, John Wooten of, of basketball. You know, it's um, one. When I got there, they had won ten straight NCAA championships. And uh, so there was a, you know, I was good coming out of high school, All-American. But when I got to LSU, it was, it was a whole different level. And so, you know, it was good. It was competitive. But while I was there, I developed uh, an eating disorder. And um, and it was just really wild because at that time, you're thinking, like, black girls don't have eating disorders. You know, that's, that's only for right. black girls, you know. And, it, and it's so funny because I didn't even really know that I had an eating disorder. Because in my head, it's like, okay, uh, eating disorders when you eat and throw up. Mm. Or, um, or when you don't eat at all. And I wasn't doing either one of those two things. What I was doing every Tuesday, we would have to weigh in. And um, I was taking laxatives like Monday trying to rid my system of it. And, and so it was just really crazy. And so I knew in order to save myself and my sanity, I was I would just have to leave. So I transferred, came to North Carolina, back to North Carolina, UNC, and it's probably one of the best decisions of my life, um, not only health-wise, but career-wise. I was on the path. I was a science major. I was like, okay, I'll become a physical therapist. And when I transferred to UNC, I remember I had a summer job. And uh, it was pretty much taking care of uh, these faculty members' kids in the sports camp or whatever, you know. And I remember one of my coworkers came in, like, late, literally like a week late to the job. I'm like, where, where are you there, you know? She said, oh, I was doing an internship in New York. So it was this little white girl. I said, internship what's an internship i had no clue what an internship wow. was here you know and so i was like what she said oh i just came back from the view i was there for like i said what and so keep in mind this is a time where there's there's no cell phones in college you know there there's there's uh i don't remember using google in college although i'm sure no social media around, you know right no social media none of that so i remember and so, so i talked to her for a little bit and so I was just like, you know, I don't really like the major I'm in now. She said, well, what are you good at? I said, I'm good at talking, right? <laughs> so she was like, I'm good at telling stories. She was like, okay, you, maybe you should think about changing to communications. So long story short, what I did to get my first internship was this. I went back to my dorm room. I had a VCR, okay? So anything that I missed in class, I taped for the most part. So what I did, I went home or to the dorm and taped five of the top shows that I always watched, which, and one of them just happened to be Ricky Lake. Uh, and so what I would do, the reason why I taped it, I would scroll all the way up to the credits. And because the thing is, calling, I would call 411, call like ABC or NBC, and then what was, what was I going to do after the internship department? Like, I just didn't know where to go. So I said, okay, I need a reference thing. So that is how I would cold call people. I would just get the name wow. off taping it from the VCR. And I, I just so happened to bug the shit out of uh, somebody from Ricky Lake and I never, her name is Amanda Zucker. And, um, and you know, it, it's kind of low key stalking, but persistence. And, um, and she just said, look, listen, we have two more spots left open. Um, you know, I'm just going to, you, you've called up here every week. 
you know, either you're crazy or you're good. She said, I'm just going to give you a chance. And the <laughs> thing is, I, I was on full scholarship, you know, so there's no leaving for a semester, you know. Right. But the crazy thing is that I ended up getting, I was plagued by a lot of injuries. And so I was injured and that took me out literally for a season. So in my head, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to dip out for a semester. But my parents were having that, you know, mm -hmm. but sometimes you just got to take a leap. You got to take, you just got to take a chance. And what I did is like, I didn't know any, I took like a $500 loan out, um, which, you know, you have no credit at the time, no nothing. And I had an old teammate whose sister lived in Harlem. I said, she had an extra bedroom. She said, hey, she can stay here just as long as she pays like one bill. And I did that for three months. And I, wow. I literally took, yeah. And so what I did, I just hustled. I helped, I worked at Gap at night um, in, in the inventory. And then by day, I worked this crazy long hours at the Ricky Lake show. And for me, that taught me like, uh, it's so crazy. Some of the wildest, craziest talk shows that have black and brown people up there behind mm -hmm. the scenes. The producers are like Ivy League. You know, I was like, hold on, all these white cats back here going into these green rooms, hyping up these black folks from the craziest parts of the United States for them to look absolutely crazy on national mm. TV. And so, um, but I learn and I watch and I observe that, that as crazy and as manipulative as that was, that was a skill to be able to go in and and pretty much cold switch, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I, I sat back, watched, learned a lot from that. And I learned how to work in the spur of the moment. I learned how to, to work when, when shit hits the fan. How do you make um, something out of nothing? And so I went back, graduated, and they remember that I did such a good job on the internship. The same people that created the Ricky Link show now had created the show called The Judge Hatchet Show. And mm -hmm. so basically, just think of a court show with some badass kids, you know. Mm -hmm. And so pa parents would call them, like, oh, my God, my little Kelsey is, is acting a fool. I think he's about to join the game. Please help. And so my first job out of college was pretty much I was an associate producer um, thinking of interventions for these kids, whether or not it was a kid that overate and they needed and I needed to send them to fat camp or, uh, like, you know, the kid that was thinking about getting into the gang. We said, okay, you know what? One day we're going to make him sleep overnight in Skid Row, but the next day we're going to take him, take him to the Steve Harvey radio show to see what two avenues he or she can go down, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I did that for about two years, and it was a wild, fun, ridiculous, absolutely insane ride. But you, but I got no money, you know? It's just, oh, you know, it was free? 20, yeah, no, I mean, no, no, it wasn't free. I was getting paid something like $450 a week, you know? Like wow. something crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living in New York City, you know? So you can right. imagine that. Uh, and, and although New York wasn't as expensive as it is now, it, it's still New York City. It's always right. expensive, you know? So, um, but when I worked 98 hours a week, got paid overtime, I, I didn't even have time to spend that money, um, the mm. extra money I had, because I was working that long. And um, and so, but it got to the point, I said, you know what, a lot of these shows are trivial. I want people to eventually look at my resume and say, okay, she did something worthwhile, or she's contributing, you know? And so, right. long story short, um, I went with Judge Hatchett to she uh the the court tv news network asked her to be uh, a guest one day on the show to talk about um some like triple homicide something crazy like that and so i just went with she said hey i need an assistant to come with me and i went there and i just kind of talked to some of the people there and maybe like two months later um i got a call saying hey we have an open position here we just love the young girl that was with you um you know would she be, av be available for me I'm, I'm very loyal 
I said, no, I don't want to leave you. And I remember Judge Hatchett pulled me over to the side. She said, Look, listen, honey, that's a lot more stable than my show. My show could be canceled at any time. You'll be out of luck. This mm-hmm. is a network, you know. And I appreciate her now because she could have been very selfish and like, stay with us, stay with me. And uh, so that's when I got my first, I don't want to say official job, but I had now had benefits, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. That's big. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is going into working at Core TV News is probably one of the most important jobs I've ever had. So long story short, um, these are real criminal cases. So so I covered the R. Kelly hearings from back in the day, the 10th wow. anniversary of the O.J. Simpson trial, um, the, the international war crimes of Saddam Hussein, like wild stuff in, in my mid-20s, you know? And yeah. so what was, I, your, what I, was your duties at these shows? Like, What was my what? What did you do, you know, on your day-to-day? So, so I, was, I was a booking producer for Court TV News. So basically, let's just say, uh, for example, let's take the Michael Jackson molestation case. So I covered that. I was, I was never in front of the camera. I had no aspirations to be in front of the camera. I was always behind the scenes. So a booking producer, what I did was I would look at the elements of the case. So uh, Michael Jackson, so you have celebrities, stardom, fame. You had children involved. You had uh, music, you know. So I would look at, okay, you know what, um, do we want to get Quincy Jones on for an interview? And then I would go try to find Quincy Jones. Do oh. we want to get a child psychologist on? So I would book to get the talking heads on. But I was only I was the only black producer, and so for me, a lot of these cases that came through that was shown, there were black and brown defendants, and mm-hmm. and all these talking heads were white people. And I was just like, hmm. And I said, okay, here's my chance to, to now get more women to to, to be defense attorneys or prosecutors on there talking or to be, uh, you know, people of color that we just, we're not seeing. And they ain't the right people of color, you know, because, right. you know, I'm just like, okay, you know, so it was a little while. And so um, what I will say is before I left Court TV, I, I made it my business to go uh, elsewhere to try to bring attorneys of color in. And some of the attorneys that I happened to brought in, it was, it was the first time literally on national television. And I helped to place them and then their careers absolutely took off. And wow. one of those people is Sonny Hostin that is now a host on The View, which is crazy because somebody said, like, oh, you should, you should think about Sonny. She doesn't have any TV experience really, but she's a great prosecutor. And I talked with her and I said, hey, okay, I'm just going to take a chance. And here I am, like a 20, I don't know, I was 25 maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Sonny's older than me, you know. So I was just like, hey, I could very well lose my job. This, this is live TV. I, just go out there and rock it out. And fingers crossed. And she did. Wow. And, and she went on to, and then there's a bunch of other people now that work for CNN. And so um, I just said, hey, I was this little black girl trying to get more black people that look like them, more people that look like me on TV. And so what, what happened, though, is what, what happened was for seven years, I was a booking producer. Seven years, imagine covering homicides, molestations, mm. rape. And, and it took a toll on my, on, my, on my soul. It just took a toll. And I said, okay, I am exploiting basically the worst parts of some of these people's lives that, that are real, you know, right. and for ratings, for ratings, you know. And I said, man, I, I don't feel like I'm, 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 I don't feel good about the job anymore. I don't feel like I'm contributing. And one day I got home from a crazy ass case and I happened to be on the subway. Have you ever been in California? You ever been on one of them trains where? The yeah. whole subway is, is wrapped in one ass, you know, and it's just like, oh, that's all you see. And I looked up and it was like, change someone's life, become a New York City school teacher. And I'm like, whatever, you know, like, whatever. And it was like New York teaching fellows, right? I kept looking around. I was like, fuck out of here. Excuse me. I don't know if I can curse up here, right? And I was Bad like, no, uh, it's all good, love. <laughs> okay. It's all good. Okay, all right. 
And I was like, there's no way I'm going to become a school teacher. And then I just happened to go on the website, and the deadline was like in three days. And I applied, and lo and behold, uh, I got into the program. And it's a fast-track program. Basically, you teach during the day, you go to grad school at night. And so the city of New York paid for my master's at Long Island University, but you're really thrown into a situation. You don't get to pick the school or the neighborhood. So I've, I've lived in Brooklyn at that time for, for at least a decade, but mm-hmm. had never been to, had never been to Brownsville. That's where they placed. I said, Brownsville? Like, what, wow. you know? Man, and I got off the train. I remember going for an interview, and this is before Google Maps. This is when you have MapQuest. <laughs> right. I, print, I printed the shit out, and there I am in Hills, and I got off, and I have this paper in front of me, and I'm surrounded. And this is hood, hood, for anybody that's <laughs> in a browser. And I said, oh, let me put out my little piece of paper. Let me get in my flip-flops and just go to the school, right? And um, so I taught English in public speaking and debate for uh, – four and a half years. Uh, and I'll tell you why I didn't get to the fifth year. It was like a half year. And um, to seniors. And it was eye-opening. Eye-opening because here I am, a lot of my family's like, oh, my God, you're going to quit this good paying job with core TV with great benefits to be a school teacher, like in Brooklyn. Like, you know, and I'm just like, hey, this is just, you know, sometimes you just got to go. You were burnt out from the core TV, right? You were done. I you was, were yeah, I was burnt out. I was done. I didn't feel like I was contributing. But also, it was just, I, I tell, I've always talked to God where I'm just like, listen, God, please don't whisper to me. Please tell me straight up, you know, mm-hmm. like, what do I need to be doing? And and, and sometimes you got to be careful what you pray for because God will send me <laughs> right? straight billboard, you know, like, and I'm just <laughs> like, oh, and it's like some old Bruce Almighty stuff. And um, anyway, I took the call, went to go teach, and, uh, you know, a lot of the students are very smart, but just lived in such an unfortunate situation. And, right. um, but I feel like they taught me more than what I taught them, but it was very, you know, I would close the door, get real low nonsense because, you know, I taught 12th graders. Some of them were 21 at the time I was 28, you know, wow. and I'm just like, hold on, how y'all still in high school? And why you want a second grade reading level? How'd y'all get to me? And so for me, it was eye opener. It was eye opener. Right. Like it was crazy. And so um, one day, uh, and I knew I wasn't going to teach forever, but I knew I was going to, you know, I'll be there for a few years. And mm-hmm. the council, you want to talk about taking another leap, yeah. another crazy leap is. So um, basically, I got a notice um, saying uh, from the Board of Education, due to budget cuts, they were going to have to pretty much uh, lay off like something like 3,000 cops and 5,000 teachers, something like that. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those first hire first fire ordeal mm-hmm. you know and i'm just like what um so but so they laid you the off from from the t- from well, well, board of education no no i didn't get laid off. i was just put on notice that I, it may go down so i was right. like really really did i just leave my job at court tv to go teach to get laid off like and i remember not panicking but just thinking like for real, God, like, what you want me to do with this, you know? And 48 hours later, no, I, I shit you not. So, well, first, I'm a, I'm a cursing Christian for anybody. <laughs> anyway, so, ah, forgive me. Um, I love I it. I love my, it. I went to my mailbox downstairs, like physical mailbox. And, uh, no, no, not physical mailbox. Um, I checked my email. That's what it was. Uh-huh. And the email said, TV inquiry. And so I'm thinking of some of my old buddies back at Core TV or Ricky Lake, whatever, needing me for a project. And the email went like this. Um, Hi, Sabrina. I know this is a shot in the dark. This is a long shot. Um, But 
bear with me. My name is Penny. I'm the, one of the lead casting producers for the hit show Survivor on CBS. So I'm like, whatever. So I'm really thinking it's one of my homeboys, Steve, just just playing this crazy jump, right? And it was a long, but it was a long detail even. I'm not like, Steve ain't this detail, right? And so to make a long story short, it was a, it was a case of mistaken identity. Basically, uh, they were casting for the next season of Survivor. They had cast about 90% of the show. However, the two slots that were missing were two women that they wanted, preferably black or Hispanic. Now, keep in mind, Kelsey, they had, they had already picked these two women generally, you know, but they, they were in the last final round of just kind of marking them, green lighting them. So what they do, they were pulling these pictures from the Internet to put uh-huh. with their electronic profile so that Mark Burnett, the TV guru, creator of The Voice, Survivor, The Princess, all of that, could put the final stamp of approval on it and so they could be on the next season. Yo, why did a black lady that they had chose? She was like 60 years old, professional, like bass fisherwoman out in Houston, Texas. Why did she and I share the same name, Sabrina Thompson? Wow. Yeah. So the email got to you accidentally. Yeah, yeah. So every time they Googled her name, my name came up, you know, with my nonprofit and everything. And and they said, hold on, this is at the time I was 33. They said, hold on, this girl's 33, like, they said, we like her way better than this other lady. And, but they didn't have my number. They just had my email from the site. Right. And um, and they, when I got the email, I responded to them. So I really, again, I thought this was my boy, Steve. And I responded like, Steve, get the fuck out of here, blah, blah, blah. And, and I thought, like, oh, hold <laughs> on. You know, right, literally. And then by the time I got to the end, I said, P.S., if there's any validity to this email, call me at this time tomorrow. And they did. And Kyle, see, 18 days. And I had no heads up. 18 days later, uh, I was. Uh, Shift away to some, some random yeah. island. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in the yeah, the South Pacific. Uh, uh, we had flew into Fiji first. But we played the game in Samoa with 17 other strangers playing for a million dollars. It was insane. Now, you got to give me some deep dirt on that. How did it go? How was oh, that experience? Yeah. Th- that was crazy. Because, listen, black folks don't usually do well on Survivor. We just don't. Like, not to say, not to say we, 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 we're not survivors, because God knows. I mean, look at our history, you know. Right. But, you know, being out in the wild with other, other folks who, who may or may not be crazy, uh, you know, got to make our own fire, fish and all that. Listen. Although I'm from the country, I've never made a fire. I've never <laughs> gone fishing, all that stuff, you know. So um, for me, the elements is not what got me. Uh, literally, you have one pair of underwear for 39 days. It's whoever Whoa. Survives. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's whoever survives longest out of 39 days in a series of fun and, and you know, really cool and games that you play. Um, you know, not having toilet paper for 39 days, not having – tissue and, 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 and shampoo, none of that is, is what gets you. That's that's not what gets you. Even even being out in the wild where it's just like, oh, my God, what kind of animal was that that I heard in the jungle? Even that doesn't get you. What gets you is that it is very much a microcosm of the real world. How they do the casting is it's 18 people on an island. And so they will put a homophobic person up there with a flaming gay person. You know, mm. they will put a power to the people, black woman, quote, unquote, that was supposed to be my character, um, up there with a person who's a stone cold racist Republican. You know, wow. you, you know, so, so you, you, you're dealing with these people because you're playing for a million dollars. There's a lot of deception involved. You don't know who's lying. Who's that. So it was the constant state of paranoia, literally 24 hours a day. 
and you, you couldn't trust anyone, but you had to trust someone for an right. alliance in order to get to the end. So, so it's a total mind fuck, total mind. Mm. And so, and I tell people all the time, like that's reality TV. I'd say ninety five percent of that show was like real. Like we saw doctors twice a day. We had a psychologist or a psychiatrist on. Um, like pretty much hidden in the jungle every three days if we needed to see them. That was mm-hmm. real. You know, what you see with mob wives and, and like lobbing hip hop and all, that's situational TV. That throw you in a, you know, oh, let's go to dinner and somebody asks pop pops up or whatever. That, that, that's a different, that's, you know, this right here, we somebody could have died. You know, they won't wow. let you die, but it was very real. And so, um, you know, every morning I woke up, I got it, it's funny, I didn't get one mosquito bite. Wow. Every morning. One every morning I wake up and scorpions would be right next to my feet and we just had to stay still, breathe, and then they'll eventually pass. Like that's how real it was, you know. And so, um, and I think for me the humbling part is so what they did give you, they gave you a bag of rice that you had to just strategically, what do you call, uh, just ration out each day between eighteen of you all, you know. And not wow. everybody made it to the end, so you hope that by the time you make it to the end and the three people that you have some rice up in case you don't catch a fish or anything. And so uh, basically every day, I, it, it, you know, if I didn't catch anything out in the wild, I left off half a teaspoon of rice each day. And wow. I thought we were, bitching, we were bitching and complaining, like, oh, my God. And then I thought about it maybe week two in, like, whoa, there are people around the world that really live off half a teaspoon of rice a day. Half like, a teaspoon up. of rice. Every yeah, day. Like How long did you last? I got second place. That's the crazy thing. I almost won. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's dope. crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Look and at God, right? <laughs> right, right. And all I had to do was just say yes. And typically, I went back and I said, okay, what, why don't black women or just black people in general, especially black women, why don't they last long on the show? So at least in those days leading up to the show, I had a chance to go back and watch prior seasons. And so the, some of the black women that went uh, very smart, very articulate, and I think that was their downside. And it's so messed up because it's like, you know, oftentimes when we voice our opinions, we're seen as assertive or that we're strong and we're aggressive. And it's just us saying like, no, like, why don't y'all try this or whatever? And so I learned that those that spoke out first and those that said, hey, this gave suggestions didn't last long. So I had to take a whole, because I have a very strong personality and I know that. And I said, right. these folks, these folks out here ain't going to take that. Well, this is for a million dollars. Let me just kind of calm down or just like, or just play under the radar a little bit. And that's what I did. And basically my social game was good. I, I learned, okay, oh, this is Kelsey. He's from, you know, from the East Coast. Um, he has a daughter. Oh, oh, you know, like, oh, his mom and dad did this. I would know everything about you personality-wise. And the thing is, the game is very, it's out of 39 days. It's very long, but it's very lonely. Mm. And so um, and, and, and so I think that was the closest I think I've ever been to God because you just can't. And every morning, literally, I would wake up and see, like, double rainbows out in the South Pacific. Wow. Then I, but I can't enjoy it with people that I love because it's like, okay, I'm sitting here dirty. haven't taken a shower in, like, two weeks. Right. These people are crazy that's next to me. But it's absolutely stunning. Uh, but I, I don't know how I could really appreciate it knowing I didn't have the basics, you know? And so mm. uh, I know when I came back to the United States uh, after the game, it's... Uh, How was your psyche after that? Simple. <laughs> oh, it's crazy because you, you have access to psychologists and psychiatrists up to three years after the show. That's how real the show is, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah, you, you come back and you have this... You're not used to sleeping in your own bed because over the last 39 days, just for warmth and survival, you have 
snuggled up to, I don't care if you're gay, married, or whatever, like, hey, you're a warm body, and I need to sleep next to you just mm. to stay warm. And that's how, that's how everybody's mind functions. And so when you, when your bodies have gotten into rhythm like that over the past 39 days, it is a pure culture shock when you come to your bed and you're now on clean sheets mm. and, and you're just like, what, this air conditioning? Like, it's it's wow. It's wow. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a life-changing experience. And so what I did, the reason why I didn't, uh, it worked out perfectly because what happened was we filmed the summer, you know, teachers have summers off. And so I said, oh. man, let's. Right. I said, let me go ahead and go. I said, because I don't know if I'm going to have a job in the fall when I get back. I said, let me just go. Like, why not? You know? Right. And so, um, so I went, it, it literally, I came at maybe a week and a half after school started. I still have my job. Um, but I just came back a little bit later and I knew at the time I had did so well on the show and that I had gotten, I didn't want, I, I said, listen, either I won I got second place because the thing is you don't know until you get back to the live finale. And I said, you know what, this is my way how I'm going to transition out of TV. I said, and uh, so basically the winner gets a million dollars, second place gets a hundred grand. So I got a hundred grand for over 39 days and I took um, a nice chunk of the money and invested it into my company, Crew Productions. And so basically I, I said, the only way I'll get back into media is if I, I am pretty much controlling the narrative and mm. telling our and telling our stories because for years I worked at these talk shows and these in these networks where, you know, I was being told to manipulate these people for ratings. And right. and, and I, they were and they were my own people, you know, and I'm just Yeah. Like, ah. I can imagine you know? how that so, made you feel over time. Yeah, yeah, it does and and it, and it really messes you up. And so I, I sometimes you, you gotta jump it. Sometimes you don't you, you don't know the how. You don't know how things are going to come back full circle. But as long as you know the why, I think that's what's important. Mm. The reason why I left uh, television is that I wasn't feeling good. I didn't know how I was going to, you know, make ends meet. And then I looked up, boom, there's teaching. Because uh, I didn't know how I was going to transition out of TV because I knew I just wanted to do it for a few years. Uh, but I knew why I wanted to go into teaching, you know. And so, um, and I think as long as you know the why in life, why you get into a certain situation, the how will take care of itself. You know, the universe always comes together to, to, to you know, if you're, if you're on the right path, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're just taking that one step, and sometimes you don't know if it's the right path, but if you know in your heart of hearts is you're doing the why, I think wow. the how comes together. And so, um, so yeah, now I, I, it's, it's 95% of my company and my clients come to me through, um, word of mouth and and it's crazy because i started off only being a photographer i said let me just i want to photograph kids and this is how i can still stay in contact with you know the younger people but still be artistic and were you self-taught people stories yeah i i went to youtube university wow (laughs) yeah and i tell people all the time and i said listen i think you know when i went to unc and and it gave me a good uh obviously a networking especially unc the, the the alumni system there is crazy. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you could be in these amazing schools, Ivy League, HBCUs, whatever, but if, if you're there but not there, you mm. know, uh, meaning, meaning networking and taking the initiative, then it's kind of all in vain. I said, you know, you can have access to a great alumni network but not know how to work a room, and you shut out of luck, you know? Right. So I think what impresses me more are the people that don't necessarily – 
didn't necessarily go to school and somehow or another finagle their ways into these circles. To me, that that is it's a hustler's game. Um, and right. so living in New York, you have to figure out how to hustle. You have to figure. And so for me, you know, I'm not a cubicle person, and and God bless the people that uh, we need people that go to work nine to five, um, have set benefits and, and want to retire and they stack their money in that way. You know, we need infrastructure in that way, but we also need a gang load of entrepreneurs too. And so right. for me, um, I just, I'm set up where, you know, routine is like the death of my soul, you know, um, but I do know routine is needed in certain things. And for me, I, I tell stories through video film and photography through my company. And, um, I started off doing photography, and one day I, I really did not know the camera I bought had a video aspect to it. I was like, what? This is like year after year one. And uh, I said, well, and so I remember for the second year, I would, for, for free, for about eight months, and I literally would just said, hey, yeah, I'll photograph your, your thing for, for a fee, but let me film parts of it. You don't have to pay me. And for that, that was working on my craft. And I think me having that nest egg from Survivor allowed me to take on a lot of these free gigs just to work on my craft. And so I would stay up late at night, watch YouTube, look at the different equipment I needed and the, um, what do you call it, the review on the equipment and then buy strategically from that. And so whereas a lot of people have to rent their equipment, I now had a whole bunch of equipment that I didn't have to pay to rent. And, and, and so now when I would build a client, not only you pay me for your services, you pay me to also rent my stuff. So my, I literally my stuff paid for itself basically mm-hmm. uh, within the first couple of gigs. And, um, and I think my first true gig that really set off my major clients is, um, uh, like a, like one of my friends, husbands work, um, was doing this project basically at Duke university. And basically there's a lot of black professors there looking at why is it that black boys, um, had such a, big margin between their white counterparts and education and, and so forth. So they looked at trauma and childhood education and nutrition and all that. They had 10 years of studies done, okay? And they said, okay, we need to make this visual. So mm-hmm. they came in, they said, um, so pretty much I sat with like these tenured, very prolific professors at Duke, and they wanted me to film them giving a PowerPoint of their 10 years of, of research. I said, listen, by all by, by all means and all due respect, ain't nobody watching that. Like, <laughs> nobody's watching that. Nobody's watching right. me giving a PowerPoint, you know? I said, give me like two days. Let me come back with a proposal. And that was my start. Duke University was my very first client. And so basically, I I told a story about young black boys. And, 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 uh, and from there, they, they hired me. Uh, and I went around my first pretty much gig. And I did 10 small projects looking at Native American boys, um, African-American boys, and um, looking at suicide rates and so forth. And basically, I would just go around the country telling stories of, of different organizations that no one knew about. Maybe it's the plight of gay black men between the ages of 18 to 30 in D.C. and how their life looks different. Look at that. Look at our production you know? producing skills mm-hmm. coming into play. <laughs> crazy, yeah, crazy, crazy. Right. And so, um, and I just think um, now I'm at the point now in my company where it, you know, the world is still my, I'm still a teacher, and, and, and in the truest sense of the word, I'm not in a traditional classroom, but I'm able to teach through film, photography, video. Um, and nobody told you. To, <laughs> right, right. Crazy, right? And, um, and it's just, you know, I think um, I, I wake up every day loving what I do. I get to travel the world. 
um, which that's an, you know, the, the, the survivor explorer, explorer part of me, that's where that lies. And then um, I get to tell people stories, whether or not, you know, um, it's and, and I, whether or not it's through photography or film, I think oftentimes now people say, okay, oh my God, like, like Rock Nation Sports is a client of mine. Every year I go in and whoever the lottery picks are for the NBA draft, I will go in, film them with their family, their old team, literally hours before they become this multimillionaire, you know. So and how did so you, you get to so capture? You, you just did it, did it until you become really comfortable and good at you know, photography and filming. This is something that you just well, actually my dad, will. Well, growing up, my dad, one of his side hustles, was, he was a photographer. Uh, and so I would, I would look at what he did. I, I don't think he had the best eye, and even he would tell you that, but he, he knew all of his equipment. So I would see him on the technical side. But I think my strong point, and, you know, obviously there's, there's better people, that, you know, there's tons of people that can shoot really well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can photograph really well. But I think my strong point is editing. Um, so mm. there are plenty of people that, there are plenty of people you that yourself editing don't, too? Don't edit. Yeah. So editing is, is what I really taught myself on, on through uh, YouTube, just the technical part. But the telling of the story part is working in live TV at court TV news. Wow. It's where these wild talk shows where you had no time really to craft a story together up in, in minutes and in seconds. And how do you do it in a way that is, sensationalized because it is entertaining at the end of the day, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, but that's also engaging and, and, and that is responsible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so now I'm able to do it like, Hey, and listen, my company is not for everyone. If you're looking for that person that's going to come in with a crew and just shoot for eight hours straight and give you a, 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 a link with that, that's not me. My company specializes in, let's say, Kelsey, you have a startup tech company and your tech company uh, services X, Y, and Z and this is what you have. and it's a very complex company you bring in a small boutique company like me to pretty much summarize what your company is in, in a 90 second story basically right. two minute two minute story because now we live in an age people don't watch commercials right so so companies are moving away from paying millions of dollars to these advertising companies to coming to smaller boutique companies like mine and saying hey can you tell this story? Like, for instance, Verizon is a client of mine, and so they brought Look me at in. God, um, I'm just, I'm just it, listening crazy. to your story <laughs> and like, how did you get here? Like, just by you, just really, you know, living your truth and, and not being afraid to it to do to do so. That, but Cal, it's also too about friendships and people. I, I like, literally, it's word of mouth. So, um. I think people at the end of the day work with who they like. They mm. work with who they can gel with. Because at the end of the day, um, you could teach me a whole bunch of tech stuff, but I could be a bona fide asshole. You're not going to want to work with me in the office or right. out of tech somewhere, you know? So, so relationships are very important. And so I would say how I got Rock Nation Sports, BET as a client, um, um, Planned Parenthood as a client, how I got those three big ones and maybe in, 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 in Texas Avenue, basically all came from things I did for free or mm. very low, very low budget. So basically I have some friends that say that just say like, Oh man, I'm not going and shooting a two year old birthday party. Not when I have clients like Vogue or whatever. And I say, listen, okay, that's you. And for me, the heart and soul of, I don't make a ton of money off going and shooting a birthday party. That's five. That, that's the heart and soul of my company. I, I love this. Like these families have been, I, maybe I filmed their wedding and now they're on their second and third kid. And I photographed their birth of their kid or, you know, and so I've lived with this family. And so, um, they get to know you. That, that, 
Yeah, and the dad just happens to be executive at Nike and said, hey, my people over at Rock Nation Sports need someone. So you see, you see how that works, you know? Yeah, and so on. yeah. And I said, oh, and so one day I did a surprise birthday party for, uh, like, somebody that was turning 50. And, and, and the lady said, listen, I don't have a ton of money, and, but I've known her through the years. I said, listen, just throw me this or whatever. Someone that could not make that birthday party saw it. He was, he was a top executive for this law firm and, and right now they're one of my biggest clients he said hey who did this video it was the oh, the home girl. I was like, oh she brought oh <laughs> connect, me, connect me with her and now that company flies me from switzerland to kenya to south africa wow. to film stuff and i said had i not done that 50th right. birthday party that made me what three hundred dollars i wouldn't have been able to have these clients so i just think sometimes you go with how, how it makes your spirit feel and you, mm. and you don't know how it's going to turn out you know it, not everything is for the money up front it's just it's a long game sometimes and so right. uh yeah it, it's wild but that that's where i'm at and it, i know i've done so much talking Calvin. no no so it's yeah. i mean you know you know this is what i like because the people's story who needs to be told are normally are you know don't get an opportunity to tell it because mm-hmm. they're the one doing they're doing the work mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i purposely look at people that i've known for a while who was actually doing the work mm-hmm. and i want to sh- them to share their story so i mean i didn't half of the stuff i didn't know <laughs> <laughs> so i did not know but it was mm-hmm. so such a pleasure to listen to your journey and i'm sure my listeners is going to enjoy this story as well your journey as well so now keep talking girl um (laughs) um, so in terms of like you know your personal life you know Mm -hmm. chasing your business going off to fiji wherever you know Mm -hmm. how did that affect you know your you know you know your personal life you know where do you have a supportive family you know Mm -hmm. friends Mm -hmm. that held you down during these transitions so it's a really good question. I think um, coming into New York as a 20-year-old, you know, working 98 hours a week, it's like, date? Who has time for a date? What? You know? Mm. And then, you, then you're broke at that age. You know, men and women, for the most part, if you're dating you're in, in your same age category. So the dating would just look very different than now. And so um, you have a date, but, like, I didn't I didn't really have too many serious relationships. And it's, I was so focused on my work. And, I think there's a pro and a con to that. And I think as a working woman and as a woman that's very driven, um, either you're going to meet two types of guys. Either you're going to meet the dude that's like, yo, I like her. But when they get in a relationship, it's like, well, I don't like her because she doesn't have a ton of time, you know? Right. Or you're just going to meet the dude that's just like, yo, I'm not even going to bother you. Like, like, but, I, but I'll flirt with you all day long, but I'm not going to bother you. And, it's like, and, and I got a lot of that second part, you know, mm-hmm. where um, but we remained friends and we flirted, and, and but we would you know, never take it beyond that because it's like, yo, I, I, I respect and I admire you so much. I don't mm. even want to mess up your game because I ain't even on my game right now, you know? And, and they would come back around like 10 years later. Like it never fell, you know? So, um, but I think for me, I wasn't looking, nor did I want a serious relationship in my 20s at all. And, and, you know, everybody has a different love story and how they met, whatever. I said, but, and uh, I mentor a lot of young girls that are in college. And, you know, you have your meltdowns in college because some dude has said did this, that, and other. And I said, you know, that's going to be natural. I said, but, yo, really, why are you in college? Have your fun. I'm not saying lose your soul in the process, but have your fun. You know, right. I said, you know, you, you have the rest of your life to be, you know, in a relationship. And so in my 30s, I said, okay, you know what, maybe I want to kind of, you know, start looking or whatever. And, and dating, I think, in a bigger city is 
uh, more challenging. I, I don't think it's hard to get a date. I do think it's harder to find the person with the same mentality of wanting to settle down in the New Yorks and then the LAs and, and, and then the Chicago's and, and maybe in the Atlanta region because um, everybody is in their household trying to get, you know, whatever they want to get for their career. And so, uh, and I have such a great love story. So basically I just got engaged past January. Oh, at, at, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Just at the age of 41, you know, and in my head, you know, you would think, okay, I'm going to be married by 32, 35. And you're a Southern and, girl too? I know, right? And so, you know, going home, not married, no kids, people just think, okay, okay, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> right? I, almost all of my friends are not married with no kids in a bigger city. But when you go to some of the slower cities, it, you know, it's just unheard of. So anyway, but, but I never, um, I think there were times I'm just like, Oh my God, I want a kid, you know, but I said, I don't, I don't want to do it w- without knowing the person. And, you know, I wanted to do it in a more responsible way. You know, I said, God right. bless the, the parents like that. There have some girlfriends that literally said, no, I want to be a parent at all costs. And it's like, I don't have to be married. And, and listen, that works for them, you know, for but me, the way how I'm set up mentally, I was like, no, I, I know I don't want to be that person getting up in the middle of the night by myself uh, I, that I would need that person to rock out with. So, um, but long story short, um, again, uh, you just, <laughs> it's about making that leap. Um, so basically, I remember I told you I went to LSU and then mm-hmm. I transferred, right? So while I was at LSU, uh, I, I remember my dad and mom dropped me off, and neither one of them had went to college, uh, never, went to a, never went to a four-year college. And, you know, so it was very new for them. And they were telling me a whole bunch of stuff and just out of fear, and they didn't know, you know. And so one of my things that my dad told me was like, you know, don't date any football players, any athletes. I was like, okay, this kind of drilled that into my head, right? And so I remember at LSU, you know, who's – huge in football uh, every literally every week on the quad like clockwork they used to be this dude that tried to holler me like clockwork and I, he was nice he was handsome real cool but and I would always politely diss him because I'm like oh no he, he's a football player like nah nah right. y'all get down you know and then plus my brother played ball in, in, in college I know how they got down right and so right. Um, and so, uh, and I was just politely dissing, but I think the more I said no, the more he came around. And so, uh, but we never dated. And, and you know, you know, I told you I, I transferred. I just upped and, and transferred. And back then, when you left, that, there's no cell phone. There's no Instagram. There's right. no way you can DM someone. So when you were very much gone, you were gone. And apparently that following semester, school started back and he came back on the yard. I was looking for him and people were like, my teammates are like, dog, she transferred. You know, I was like, wow. So, so that was that. 20 years later, Kelsey, like pretty much like a year and a half ago, um, one of my old teammates called me up and was just like, yo, you remember this dude named Kareem and he used to try to holler at you? I was like, no. And she, and then she started describing it even more. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, yo, he just contacted me and was just like, Che, how you don't wear Sabrina? And I was like, whatever. <laughs> wow. Whatever, after you know? 20 years yeah, later? Yeah, yeah, after 20 years. I was like, whatever. And um, and so she was like, no, I said, I said, uh, she was like, Sabrina, and at the time I was 39. She said, she's 39? Why not? I said, hold on. Where did dude live? That, that was my number one question. She said, Houston. I said, oh, come on, please. I said, nah. I said, I don't even date dudes in Harlem, more like Houston and right. whatever, you know? And so I, the crazy thing is I was packing to go on a trip the next day to Cuba. Mm. And, do, and due to, like, uh, like some bad weather, 
all the planes were grounded, and I never made it out of New York to go to Cuba. My biggest client in New York called me that day and was like, hey, Sabrina, we know this is last minute, but we need to fly you down to Houston. Wow. Yeah, to interview this lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Are you available? And I said, you know what? I am now because I'm not going to Cuba. And so I called my old teammate back, and I said, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to be in Houston in 24 hours. Don't give him my number, but you can tell him this is the hotel I'm in. He can meet me poolside, and I'll give him 30 minutes. Just to talk, wow. You know? So Yeah. So she was like, okay, you know, and she's like, he'll take it. And then, uh, and then what ended up supposed to be 30 minutes. Cause I came out there like no makeup on hair and a messy butt and a jogger suit. And I was like, okay, let me just go talk to this dude and be out. And, uh, yeah. And what, so it's been a 30 minute conversation it ended up being hours, hours poolside. And we had a long distance relationship for almost two years. And he just proposed this past yeah. January. And, and in less than 30 days, I'm getting married. Crazy. Crazy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, he really gets me. And I think for me, getting married at this age, like I'm just more of a whole person. Yeah. I feel like I can contribute more to a relationship. You know, if God blesses me to be a parent, uh, I, 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 I just, I'm not as flighty, you know, as I was right. as a 20 year old, you know, and it's just I have a lot more to contribute. And I think uh, I would have wanted to travel the world in my 20s. And um, who knows? Uh, you know, I, I may still be traveling the world with a kid on my hip and a husband on my arm. Right. I just know I, I am more of a in a settled place. And I can, uh, my company is now shifting more into uh, scripted television and film. So, what? Uh, yeah, so I'm just working on I got to talk to you on the side about really that. About, uh, okay, all right. I got, a little, I got something I've been working on for a while, but I'll okay, okay, <laughs> talk to you on the side right. about that one. <laughs> all right, sounds good. And, uh, and for me, it's just about telling stories um, that just don't often get mainstream attention, or if they do, it is told in such a surface level. And I think... Um, uh, there's a way that you can do it in, in a radical way that is responsible, but also to very enlightening. Because uh, I right. think sometimes when people hear news, it's like, yo, this is some boring shit, you know. And I'm just like, but every day we turn on TMZ, that's news, but it's done in such a sensationalized way. Right now, unfortunately, um, um, Nipsey Hussle, whose life was just so tragically taken, um, mm. um, you know, he was he had his own story, was telling his own news in a certain way through through the hood and through all these programs he was doing and so forth. But no, a lot of people didn't know what he was doing really until his death. You know? I know, I know. Um, I, and that's you know. what messed up. It's like, why don't we have news outlets that's going to talk about what Snoop Dogg does? And, on, and, on and why stuff, don't we? You know? Why don't we demand? Why don't we demand as consumers? We always look at the, you know, the love and hip hop and yeah, and yeah. all those. You know, brain <laughs> frying, mm-hmm. se- you know, sensationalized, over the top shows. But when, mm-hmm, you know, anything mm-hmm. good is going on, there's no way to, nobody demand that, you know? Right. So. And I, I think, too, there's, there's, it is a problem with that, but you have to look at why. So, like, most of the time when people do tell these so good stories, and it's probably at the last, what, 90 seconds of an of a overall news program when they show mm-hmm. the good story of the week, is that it is told with zero flavor. It's dry as mm-hmm. um, You know, so it's just like, listen, I think you can bring, you know, people say, oh, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can make a horse drink that water if it's done in such a dope way. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I said, I've seen people tell some incredible story. It, well, not tell this. I've, t- I've seen people... Uh, attempt to tell a story 
and, and the story's incredible, but they, how they add it, how they tell it. Mm. I'm like, man, what the hell y'all do to this? Because I'm tuning out in the first 30 seconds when I know this woman got a, a crazy story. To right. Tell. Like, right. Like, you know, and so it's just like, you know, you, you got to, there, there is an element to the love and hip hop. Why do these people watch this show? It is a a little bit of it is to tune out. A little bit of it is just like, okay, are we about to see a fight? And it's going like a part. It, it part of it is entertainment. So how do we take a little bit of the entertainment part, but also tack it on to something that's serious and not trivialize it? So there, there's a skill and a very tight like balance being you got to walk to do that. And so right. I think, you know, and it's just like, um, you know, one of the, I think one of the most profound most profound things i was blessed to capture was uh so basically uh i was one of hillary clinton's cinematographers for the last six months of her presidential campaign which was wild that that came out of the blue basically um they needed a black girl to come in and be a cinematographer because what happened was those nine people got shot down in south carolina in that church and Mm. so you know like politicians they're gonna never give their condolences or whatever and they brought these cameramen these cameramen were all white these producers were white shoving their cameras in these black people's faces it was not received well you know and so my friend was like yo one of my homegirls works for the campaign they need somebody black that's good and i was like so when i talked to them i said okay what exactly i mean am i going to be covering she she goes a lot of places you know and they said okay you're not going to be going with her everywhere because you just have a crazy schedule. We just need for you to focus on things that affect um, women of color and the mothers of the movement. I'm like, who are the mothers in the movement? Like, I just said, they was like, oh, no, no, no. You know who these people are. You know them by their names. You don't know them by their collective names. It's like, these are tra- this is Trayvon Martin's mom, Jane mm. mom, Eric Gardner's mom. So they said, you'll be traveling the country with them. And I said, well, because for them, they're very single issue voters. They don't give a fuck about tax reform. They just give, they care about gun reform and, and what are we going to do about these cops? What are we going to do, you know? Um, so um, that right there, that right there, because coming from a very sensationalized um, talk show background and going to go film now, I remember when I first met these ladies, I came off the plane and they were eating, they were at this big dinner at just a very casual restaurant. And, um, and so I had my camera in my hand, but I just thought, ah, let me just introduce myself first, you know, and, and these women who came, they all held hands when they go say grace and Lucy McBath, which is a Jordan, um, Lord knows, uh, what is Jordan's last name? Her son was killed. Um, I'll think of his last name later. Um, he, he was killed. He's now Congresswoman, but, um, she, she led the prayer. And the prayer went something like this, and paraphrasing. It's like, you know, Lord, thank you for the hands that prepared the food. And um, thank you for choosing us mm. um, for this call, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just, and they were all closed. They all had their eyes closed and their hands. And I remember looking up from that and just looking at them like, what? Like, like it was so mind-boggling for me because these, these women have lost the most precious things that they live for, okay, which are the, their children. And despite it all, it was just like, listen, we didn't want to be chosen, but we were chosen. And what do we got to do to not let this circle of women grow? 
And so when I talk to them, and so and we've been to Oxford University in, in, in England, to every part of the United States, and they said, listen, you said we want to be part of this group. We're not the most articulate women, you know, like, you know, and so they said, but we're made to speak in front of thousands of people about our child and how we don't want this group of women to grow. But sadly, every year it grows. And so for me, I literally would be filming and tears roll around my face. Mm. And, and Miss, Miss, Miss uh, Geneva, which is Sandra Blaine's mom, would look up at me like, what you crying for? <laughs> I, would, I mean, you know, these older black women would gather me the fuck up like, you don't even leave up, like, what you crying for? You got a job to do. And I said, yes, ma'am. You know, and so wow. for this, yeah, so that right there, it's just like, mm. okay, you know what? Stay focused. Stay focused. I'm trying not to get too, most, too emotional because I got a story to tell. I got to mm. tell these, these women's stories so that the war can get out. And so for me, that is my challenge where, yeah, corporate clients bring in the money. But the heart and soul of my company are telling these stories of these little girls and these little brown and black boys from these communities that 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 have been forgotten about, you know, mm. and that they are geniuses in their own, you know, right. And, and they could very well be the next inventors or, you know, go and, and have their own Silicon Valley right in, in Baltimore. And it's just like, wow, these stories been told, you know, wow. because they are from the quote unquote people that the society doesn't care about, but, but they care about our culture, you know, mm. but don't care about us. So it's just, um, for me, it's now, um, getting a check is just not good enough. It's just like, if it's not purposeful along with getting the check, then, you know, somebody else can take that. Somebody wow. else can take that. You know, that's just, this is not for me. Wow. So you have a purpose. Follow yeah. your dreams and your passion. And now you have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so girl. it's, um, it's, just, it's, it's wild, but, um, I, I really just want to thank you for giving me this platform because, you know, I feel like I... Man, I, I, now I feel, I feel the, the heat now. I got to make sure this joint is on point because it's a great <laughs> okay. story and I feel the list, my listeners need to hear this. Mm -hmm. And you, you told it so passionately and I feel like that's what, you know, they're going to feel. They're going to feel your passion and they're going to feel mm -hmm. your enthusiasm and, and, you know, hopefully it'll inspire them to find their purpose you know, mm -hmm. and be honest with themselves and, 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 and not be afraid, you know, to, to even if you're afraid, do it anyway to follow right, your dreams right. and passions. So thank you, Sabrina. I really appreciate this. Oh, you're know. welcome. You're welcome. And uh, congratulations. And think, you know. <laughs> thank you so much. And I just want to just give one piece of advice I have to give anyone who's just afraid of taking that leap. It's just like, listen, you, you, you have, X amount of time in this earth and, and every day that you live, it, it expires. It gets mm. shorter and shorter, you know? And it's just like, man, um, you know, we were kids. We had no inhibitions. We would jump off whatever, the trampoline. Right. And, and, you right. Know, no and, fear. Right, no fear. It might be water at the end of that pool. It might not, you know, but you just do it. And it's just like, at what point did that kid-like mentality in that aspect, was it stripped from us? You know, mm. at what point did fear start to lead us? And it's just like, go back to them. Guess what? If you success is what we make it, you know. Uh, if success for you is just like, listen, at the end of the year, I want to have, I want to make, I don't know, four hundred dollars every month off of selling my paintings or whatever you sell. Then do that. Start small. Just start. Just start. Just right. start. Yeah. Great advice and a great way to end our conversation. So thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you all for tuning into Reverse Ambition Podcast. It is really a pleasure sharing these amazing journeys with you. It may take some time for you to find your purpose and realize your dreams, or for your purpose and dreams to find you. 
When it happens, don't be afraid to pursue them. Be more afraid if you don't. Trust God, trust your journey, and most important, trust yourself and it will all work out. Until next time, I am Kelsa Cooper, The Social Broker. Thanks again for listening.